Thank you, Brother Wilkerson, for doing that. I, I'd love to fly across the country just to see that. And I was talking to my brother today earlier, and uh, we were talking about just being fathers. And I told Keith, and he agreed with me. I said, being a dad is the favorite thing I have in all the world. And it's because we had such a great dad. An example. And I can't tell you how faithful my mama... My mom and dad are amazingly consistent. I mean, just incredibly consistent. It's all these years since I've known them, and I know them well, they hadn't changed a thing. Not a thing. They have the same heart for God. They've got the same walk with God. Mom was up early this morning. Reading her Bible like she always has. So winning like they always have. Giving. Loving others. Just like they always have. My dad. It's a good picture of my heavenly father who changes not. My mom. Right by his side. Thank you. It's truly an honor to preach tonight. This is my home church. I grew up here and I owe a debt to so many of you. Thank you members of First Baptist Church for your faithfulness. Thank you for your investment in my life, so many of you. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Pastor Wilkerson, for your friendship, for your gracious spirit, and your investment in so many young people from our church, including my own children. Thank you for honoring my parents tonight. It was a meeting like this in March of 1987 that God called me to preach. I was sitting in the back as an usher over on the other building, Brother House preached a sermon on this kind, and all my heart began to burn. I didn't think I could preach. In fact, I doubted that I could. I was pretty shy. But God did something in my life and in my heart. And I came as far as I could. I couldn't come all the way to the front because of all the people that were there. But as far as I could come, I came and I told God, God, I don't know if you can use me, but I want you to. I don't know if I can ever preach, but I'm willing to. I want you to use me. I can't give you as much as somebody else can, but I can give you all of me. So grateful for this church, for the influence it's had on my life. I've been asked to preach on the leadership of the Lord Jesus. It's wonderful to exalt our Savior. He certainly is our example in everything. And I want to give you just a, four things tonight that I see in the leadership of Christ that may be a help to us. If you would, take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, I want to say thank you also to my dear wife. I'm so grateful for her. She's put up with me and stood by me all these years. And a privilege to be able to serve with her, our investment, and our children, our family, and our church. I love the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark is an action-packed book, just one event after another. It shows the heart of our Savior as a servant. He came to serve. Already in this first chapter in Mark, Jesus has been baptized. He's been tempted by Satan. He's called his disciples, and he's preached in the synagogue at Capernaum. There in the synagogue, they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught as one that had authority. He cast out an unclean spirit, and the people were all the more amazed. 
His fame spread abroad, the Bible says, throughout this region. In compassion, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And at sunset, when the Sabbath ended, the Jews were no longer restricted. And the Bible says that all of the diseased and all those possessed with devils, in fact, all of the city was gathered together at the door of Simon's house. The people had never seen anything like this. Who was this young rabbi? Just 30 years of age, he speaks with authority. He has power over disease. He has power over all the forces of hell. And finally, there were people in this town, in this region that had hope. Get the picture. Here are the sick and elderly, burdened parents with children, the blind, the deaf, the crippled, the oppressed. They all came to Jesus. They came to the door of this home where Jesus was staying. In those days with little medicine, in those days with no surgeries and no hospitals, if you were sick or crippled, you had little hope. But now they had found someone who could actually do something, and they flocked to him, they rushed to him, and they came to this door. And with great compassion, Jesus helps them, and Jesus heals them. His life was so busy. Christ, our example, was consumed with serving others. He was a servant leader. What a day at Capernaum. This little town had been exalted to heaven that day. The region of Galilee had never heard such preaching and seen such healing and so many miracles done. There was shouting and rejoicing. There was a buzz throughout the city and a great anticipation for the next day. Now it's Sunday morning, the first day of the week. What will this unparalleled preacher and miracle worker do? Surely he needs extra rest after such an incredible day. But that's not what happened. Look, if you would, at Mark chapter 1, and look at verse 32. And at even when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils, and all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of divers' diseases. And cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. And when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth, and he preached in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, and cast out devils. Father, meet with us now the next few minutes tonight. Teach us from your word. Please help me to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to say just what ought to say, and leave off what ought not be said. Help us, Lord, in our leadership. Help us as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. May we learn something tonight. May you encourage us tonight. May you strengthen us. May you convict us. Do the work that only you can do, for it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Jesus takes his necessary sleep, and he awakes while it's still dark, and others are still sleeping. He quietly makes his way out of the house through the streets of this city to the open fields. It's a great while before daylight. Darkness covers the land, but Jesus knows the way. For he has walked this before. He is at home in his solitary place. He finds a hollow where he'll be out of sight, and there he kneels, and there he cries, 
And there he speaks with his father, and there he prays. Is this his rest after a busy day? Is this his preparation for coming labor? It certainly is. The early morning of prayer explains the evening of power. Remember, Jesus did what he did on earth as a spirit-filled man. Jesus did what he did as our example. Study his life. This was his custom. It's wonderful to think of our Lord praying before he did any great thing. Here at the beginning of his public ministry, what we can learn as leaders from our ultimate example, oh, we ought to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us are leaders in some aspect. You may be a pastor, you might be an assistant pastor, you might be a Sunday school teacher, you might be a bus captain, you might be a mother, you might be a father, you might be a grandmother or a grandfather. All of us are leaders in some aspect, and there's something that we can learn from this chapter. That's why the Lord's preserved it for us in His Word. I see four things quickly here about the leadership of Christ. First of all, I see the priority that Jesus gives to prayer. I see the priority that Jesus places on prayer. This is primary, and it really should be obvious to us. All the city is at his door, but Jesus goes apart, the Bible says, into a solitary place. He goes to a place with no crowds, a place with no noise, a place with no distractions, where Jesus could talk to his Father, and where Jesus could find direction, where he could find help, and where he could find strength. I know it's basic, but it's necessary. Ere you left your room this morning, did you think to pray in the name of Christ our Savior? Did you sue for loving favor as a shield today? Oh, how praying rests the weary. Prayer will change the night today. So when life gets dark and dreary, hey friend, don't forget to pray. Sadly, many Christian leaders in 2023 have, has abandoned this place. Jesus had time for it, but we've gotten too busy for it. Our schedules are too demanding for this. We have more gadgets and more time-saving devices than anybody's ever had in history, and yet we're always in a hurry, and we're always running late, and we miss the source of power that God has for us. He gave priority to prayer, and you and I as leaders ought to do the same. What was this place to Christ? It was a place where he was alone. He was anxious that his prayer might be, not be seen or heard by men. Charles Spurgeon said this, secret prayer is the secret of prayer. Secret prayer is the secret of prayer. Where's your solitary place, friend? This is what Jesus taught us. He said, if we would pray in secret, our Father which seeth in secret shall reward you openly. My Bible teaches the less that our prayer is observed on earth, the more it is observed in heaven. Where can you go to be alone? It's getting harder and harder to find this place. Maybe early in the morning before others arise. The best hour of my day is my first hour with the Lord alone. I'm not the best Christian in the world. I'm certainly not the best pastor in the world. I'm not the best preacher. If you want to hear a good preacher, come back tomorrow night and hear Brother Willette. Or go online and watch Brother William's message from last night. But I can tell you this, I can't do anything without spending time with God. God knows my heart. And I'm talking about seven days a week, I don't miss it. And I go along with the Lord. I don't have my cell phone there. Our cell phone has become our everything, really can be a great distraction to us. And I don't take that to my place to pray and my place to go and be alone with the Lord. 
Perhaps it's a place where you can go and pray out loud to open your heart to God. I don't know if Jesus prayed out loud or not, but I like to think that he may have. Jesus would begin his day with prayer. He would do nothing else until he prayed, until he came to that solitary place of fervent prayer. You say, well, preacher, what I do is I live in a spirit of prayer and I don't really need to have extended prayer. Are you kidding me? Really, you don't think that Jesus lived in a spirit of prayer? Yet he often would have a special time and go to a special place to pray. The priority that Jesus gave to prayer, it was a place where he went to be alone. I'll say this too about it. It was a place that he went to consistently. Jesus gets up off his sleeping mat. I'm sure he was tempted to sleep in as we are. He was tempted in every point as we are. He walks out into the night onto a hillside, anywhere you go from Capernaum. If, if you've been there, you've got to go up or you're going to get wet. He, he finds this, pla this place, this secret place, this shielded place, maybe a grove of trees or maybe behind some boulders there. Hold it. This was not a one-time event. It was a habit of Jesus' life. In Luke 5, 16, as he withdrew himself into the wilderness and he prayed. And verse, uh, chapter 22, verse 39 of Luke, and he came out and went as he was wont. It was his custom. He went to the Mount of Olives and his disciples also followed him. He often went apart. The disciples knew this. They, Judas knew this. That's why he took the soldiers there to arrest him. It's because Jesus often went to the solitary place. And yet we're going to lead without taking time. Verse 41 of, tells us and he was withdrawn about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. Oh, listen, friend, Jesus loved people, but he often went away from people and prayed. He went to talk to and listen to his father, and he did it again and again and again and again and again. It's not that we read the Bible and that we pray and that we walk with God tomorrow morning and then take off a month. Nothing works that way. Listen, try dieting that way. Try dieting and say, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to diet tonight, and then I want to try to diet again next month one meal, and then I'll try the next meal. Try exercising that way. Nothing works that way. It was consistent. This ought to be the habit of our life, finding that solitary place to be alone with God. Listen, you say, well, preacher, I'm awful busy. None of us are more busy than our Savior. The solitary place was a place of... Aloneness, it was a place that he visited consistently. And then, I want you to notice this because this is very interesting. It was a place where Jesus found direction. Back to the story because I think you'll be surprised. Jesus gets up before daylight to pray, and after daylight, the crowds start coming and they gather at the door. As I mentioned, the Sabbath day was from sunset on Friday to sunset on Saturday, and the Jews were restricted and they could only go so far and they couldn't carry burdens. And so they came as soon as sunset on the Sabbath day. On Saturday night, they came and they, he healed many. The next day, they come again. The crowds come and gather at the door, and I'm sure they were knocking, and I'm sure they were talking, and I'm sure they were calling. The disciples woke up, and I think the disciples said, Hey, this is great. Man, this is wonderful. 
Hey, we don't have to go to the crowds. Now they're coming to us. Hey, Jesus, and they look for Jesus, and he's gone. Maybe they divide into groups, I don't know, and go searching for him, but at least Simon and his group find him. And I think Simon said to Jesus, well, I know what he said to Jesus. He said, all men seek for thee, but I think Peter's idea was hurry and come back. People are coming from all over the region to see you, to find help from you. You might expect Jesus to say, okay, I'm coming. I'll be right there. I just needed some time alone, but that is not what Jesus says. You see, he found God's direction in this place of prayer. That leads me to the second point. I said, number one, the priority that our example and leadership gives to prayer. I said, number two, I see his disdain for public opinion. I see the insignificance of popularity to the Lord Jesus. Look at what Peter said. Peter said, all men seek thee. But that wouldn't determine what Jesus did. He would follow the direction given to him by his heavenly Father. No matter what anybody said or thought, our Lord's popularity was not one that was earned in, in a bad way. It was of the best kind. Jesus' popularity didn't come by tricks. He, he didn't become popular by pandering to their pride or by giving in to their prejudice. He had preached nothing but the truth. He had worked no miracle for display but it was only for their good, and he had done it out of compassion. But watch me, he did not care if he was popular or not. He didn't care for the best of popularity. When people came to him, he preached the gospel. He loved them, but their applause meant nothing to him. He knew people could be fickle, and he wouldn't be swayed by opinions. He, he wouldn't be swayed by pressure. Let me say this to the pastors. There's a lot of pressure these days to change. There's a lot of pressure to go certain ways. What you better do is find a solitary place and get alone with your heavenly father, and you better get your direction there no matter what anybody else may say. As leaders, I read in John chapter 6, verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with them. And by the way, this was a case of doctrine. Jesus, he hadn't even, he hadn't rebuked any of them. He had just preached sound doctrine that he was the food for the believer. That, go back and read that, that, that chapter. But because of his preaching, there were many that went aside. What did Jesus do? I tell you what I would have been tempted to do. I, I would have been tempted to chase after the defectors. I would have been tempted to go after him and say, oh, please come back, and what can I change? What did I say? He didn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. No, he simply invested in, and taught those who stayed. And by the way, Jesus wasn't shocked either. We might not be shocked, or maybe we shouldn't be shocked when we preach sound doctrine, and some people won't stay. But he turns to the 12, and he said, will you also go away and Peter said, thou, I love what old Peter said, thou hast the words of eternal life. I'm staying with you. Old Peter said, I've been out there in the world, and there's nothing the world has to offer, and I'm staying with you, Lord. I'm saying it hurts when people leave. I've been there. I remember the first family who left our church. I've been at our church now 25 years. I remember the first family who left. In fact, it was a deacon and his wife. And it hurt me. My initial reaction was, look, I, 
I've gone 1,700 miles, and I come over here to pastor the church. And, well, I've given up a lot to be here. This deacon was not a bad man, but he wanted to go a different direction. I think he thought maybe a new pastor coming in wouldn't be as firm on the King James Bible or maybe wouldn't be as firm on some things, but he left, and it hurt me. I wrote him a letter, and I thanked him. He said, what would you do then? I just went on. You just go on. That's what you do. You just go on. Let, let me say this, pastors. Every ministry has seasons. Every ministry does. I, I love the spring growth season. I love that. I, I love the fall harvest season. But I'm going to tell you, every ministry, every church has a winter season, a time of barrenness as well. That John chapter 6, go back and read it, friend. That was a time of barrenness in the ministry of Christ. We're not talking about people who weren't saved. We're talking about people who had committed to follow Christ, but then they decided, no, we're not going to follow him anymore. Let me ask you, leader, can you fight a losing battle? Can you do that? Can you go through some difficult times? There are times when ministries are depleted, churches are depleted because of false teaching because of worldliness, because of criticism, maybe because of change? Can you stay? Listen, anybody can swim with the tide. Can you swim against the current? Will you be faithful? Will you stay with it? Our stand for truth and right may not be popular, but we should be like our Savior and not be swayed by public opinion. Jesus comes, Peter, Simon comes to Jesus and he says, Hey, all men seek for thee. Come on back. Jesus said, I'm not going back. Look at it, that's what he said. I'm not going back, we're moving on. Oh, I pray we'd be like the Apostle Paul. I was reading Galatians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul in verse number 16, Paul said, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Paul was guided by God alone. Read that chapter, Galatians chapter 1. Paul said, I was saved by God's grace, and I was called by God's grace. I have heard from God, and that's all the call I needed. Listen, beware of being overly influenced by others. Get to the solitary place. Find the will of the Father, and don't be pressured to change. Beware of podcasts. Beware of pressure from men who would have you change. Hey, get low to that solitary place, and you'll find your direction. Paul said, in verse 10, do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Listen, the apostle Paul didn't even consult with himself. He said, I conferred not with flesh and blood because it wasn't about human reasoning. Listen, from a human standpoint, Paul, when he left what he had to follow Christ, he had everything to lose and nothing to gain. He had power, he had prestige, he had everything, and yet he left it all to follow Christ. You know why? Because he was sensitive to one voice, and that was the call of Almighty God. God called me to Arizona. It was difficult for me. All I knew was here. My parents are the two best Christians in this world that I know. My parents are the two most consistent Christians in this world that I know. My parents didn't really mind if 
I left and moved 1,800 miles away as long as I left their grandchildren here. I fasted and I prayed. I went to see Brother Hiles and talked to him about it. That wasn't always easy either. I knew that God was calling me. My mom and dad, they didn't tell me not to go. They just told me all the good things around here. All the reasons I should stay. I was on part-time staff at the college at that time. Had a little bitty office. More like a closet. One day in the midst of all of this, my dad came to my office. And he knocked on the door. My dad was very emotional. I didn't ask a lot of questions. He said, come with me. Okay. We walked down the hallway, out the front door of the college, and my dad went to his car, and he opened the door, and he said, get in, son. Okay. We drove to the cemetery. My dad put, put his hand on my shoulder, and we walked over to where he has grandchildren buried. My dad said, kneel here, son. I did. My dad said, today, God, I give you my son. He's not mine. He's never been mine. He's yours. Take him wherever you will. Thank God for my parents. Thank God for parents who are able to hear the voice of God. Not try to influence somebody against the voice of God. said, number one, notice the priority that Jesus gives to prayer. I want you to notice, number two, the insignificance of popularity to him. He would obey his father and would not be swayed by men. I want you to notice, number three, his commitment to practical duty. Look at verse 37. When they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he, Jesus, said unto them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, for therefore came I forth. Jesus said, we're moving on. There are more people to reach. There are more people to help. You see, Jesus will break new ground. Old harvest only served to fill the seed basket for new plantings. He will face new trials. Whenever Jesus entered a place for the first time, there was opposition, but Jesus would face it. Our example in leadership, the Lord Jesus had no love of ease. He wouldn't rest on his laurels. He would obey the Father and would seek fresh fields and new pastures. I want you to notice this too, that the Lord Jesus enlisted help from others. I love this. He said, let us, look again at verse 38, let us go into the next town. All men seek for thee, but Jesus, the unparalleled preacher and leader, said, let us go. Oh, listen, friend, what he did is he lifted his poor, often weak disciples into the us with himself. He said, let us go. Jesus was concerned with taking other committed ones with him, and that's what we must do to be a leader like Christ. I loved hearing Brother Kevin Wynn today. I would say this, if you've never been there to see the work, you ought to go. 
I had the chance to go back in January this year the first time. I've read his letters over and over again. Every time I read his mission letters, it's like I'm reading another chapter from the book of Acts. I mean, honestly, it's just unbelievable. And if you don't believe it, all I would do is tell you, go see it. Go see it. See what God is doing there. Saturday morning, I got there to that building that seats six or 7,000, I don't know. But it was filled with many hundreds and even thousands of soul winners. And they run all those buses, but they bring families on their buses. In Mexico City, you can't leave children alone. There's so many kidnappings, and so they don't even have children that come by themselves. 3,000 soul winners. I asked him, I said, Brother Wynn, how many soul winners will go out today? He said, about 3,000. I asked him, I said, Brother Wynn, that's, that's just unbelievable. How did you get so many laborers? You know what he said? He said, I asked God for them. There's only one prayer request that I find in the Bible that Jesus gives us. You know what Jesus said? He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. I'm going to tell you, God convicted my heart. And I've done since then, I pray every day. In fact, I pray many, many times a day, God, give us labors. God, send labors. God, give us labors. We can't do the work ourselves. Jesus said, let us go. Oh, to be associated with the Lord Jesus. Oh, to be a co-laborer with him. What a privilege. What an honor. The, The disciples must have been incredibly encouraged by this and how much more willing they were to go on with them. He said, let us go. It's what my dad did. It's what my mom did to us. My dad never said stay out of our way because we're going somewhere. My dad's words were always let us go. Let us go. I grew up in the ministry serving with my mom and dad. If we had a bus route, we did it together. If we had a junior church, we did it together. If we were doing something for somebody else, it was together. Why? Because my parents were willing to invest in the us. You say, boy, it must have slowed them down. I, it probably did. I remember going visiting with my dad many, many times. His bus route was in Crown Point. My dad would take me visiting and always wanted to go. If nothing else, we would stop at Burger Chef. And I never got to go out to eat, and that was an awesome thing. Let us go. Let us go. Did it slow them down? I don't know. But i tell you what's happened now. They've multiplied their ministry. Oh, listen, we ought to get others involved. We ought to stay with the work that God has called us to do. Let us go. Jesus showed confidence in his followers. He believed in them. I, I, I know some of you might say, well, preacher, if I had followers like Simon Peter, I'd have confidence in them too. Have you read about Peter in the Bible? Well, if I had followers like these disciples, boy, I'd really believe in them. Have you really read... Have you read the Gospels? Listen, these guys could be headaches. Peter, he he never let thinking interfere with what he said. But Jesus said, let us go. Let us go. He believed in them and he patiently taught them. Thank God for patient leaders. Thank God for Brother Eddie patiently invested in me all those years. 
God, help us to have the mind of Christ. God, help us to be patient. Notice he said, let us go. And as a shepherd, Jesus led them. He didn't send them. He went before them. He led them. He didn't ask them to do what he himself wouldn't do. Soon these disciples would be on their own, but they would be prepared. They had a leader who showed them by example how to pray. They had a leader who showed them by example how to preach. They had a leader who showed them by example how to teach. They had a leader who showed them by example how to overcome temptation, how to overcome adversity, how to forgive, how to love people, how to show mercy to people. Dr. Lee Robertson often said everything rises and falls on leadership. You know, when the leader does right, everybody under him is affected for good. Our followers are affected by our decisions and our followers are affected by our attitude. May I say tonight, may we be willing to go on to work hard, to enlist others, to train and prepare and to delegate Obviously, Jesus delegated. We ought to learn to delegate, but not to the point where we ourselves do nothing. Let us go on willing to work. That's what the ministry is. Ministry is working. Hey, don't get discouraged. I know it can be discouraging. Pastor Mutchler, many years pastored in Oregon, he used to say this. He, he said, Kevin, he said, pastoring a church is like building a house with two-by-fours but no nails. He said, you set up this wall over here and you get everything just right and then you turn around to set this wall up and this one starts to fall down again. Can I get a witness? Is that how it is? We can get discouraged. It's hard work. But keep on. See the Lord's commitment to practical duty. There's no substitute for hard work. Listen, if there were a substitute for hard work, I would have found it by now. I've been looking all these years. As one of our college professors used to tell us, you don't need the seven steps to success. You just need somebody to kick you down the steps and get you started so you can get to work. Jesus said, let us go on to the next town. Let us go on and work the lordship of, or leadership of Christ. Here at the beginning of his public ministry, there's so much to learn. I want you to notice four things. First of all, the priority he gives to prayer, the insignificance of popularity to him. I want you to notice his commitment to practical duty and involving others. And then I want you to notice, lastly, his primary calling. May we not downplay it. Look at what he says. Let us go into the next towns, verse 38, that I may do what? Have some drama. Let's go into the next town that I may what? Do a podcast? No, he said preach. Preach there also for, therefore... Came I forth. First Corinthians one eighteen for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us that are saved it is the power of God. Verse twenty one it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. If I'm not mistaken, it was the Lord Jesus that said, Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You see, it was in that solitary place that Jesus found clear direction. Simon says, all men seek for thee. Come on, Lord, let's go back to town. The crowds are there. Jesus said, I'm not going back to Capernaum. I don't care how many people are there. We're moving on to the next town. Why? Why did Jesus say that? Don't miss this. Here's why. Because Jesus didn't come to primarily heal people's bodies. 
He came to save their souls. He came to preach the gospel. He came to preach the kingdom of God. Look at verse 14. He says in verse 38, Therefore came I forth. This was a priority which all leaders must establish. It's preaching the gospel. It's seeing people saved. It's winning people to Christ. That's the priority that we're to have as Christian leaders. My dad used to say to me when I was growing up, he'd say, son... He said, you can do anything you want, but not everything. It's all a matter of priorities. And the same is true for us. You see, what had happened here was Jesus' healing ministry and Jesus' preaching ministry were conflicting with one another. He goes alone, watch me, he goes alone, doesn't go to the internet and look for a podcast. He goes alone to the solitary place where he finds direction from his heavenly father. Not concerned about popularity, not concerned about pressures from others. Determined to go on. The people coming to him at Capernaum were not coming to hear a sermon, but rather they were coming to have their bodies fixed. Jesus was to be obedient to his father, and he was sent not primarily to be healer of bodies, but to be the savior of the world. Luke 19, verse number 10, Jesus said, I am come to seek and to save that which is lost. So he goes from town to town preaching the kingdom of God. Again, look at verse 14 is exactly what he says. Jesus said, here's what it would be like if you let God be in control of your life, if you would just yield to him and obey him. Jesus goes everywhere preaching and is always followed by incredible crowds seeking physical healing. And he helps many of these people out of compassion. See the next story. He doesn't stop helping people. But it's very telling in that story because he heals this leper and then he says, don't tell anybody. But like often was the case, they went and told everybody. You say, why would Jesus say that? Because that was not his primary calling. His calling was to preach the gospel. The priority of Jesus' ministry was preaching. It was reaching the lost. and It was training them to reach others. I love I love the emphasis on discipleship here at First Baptist. It's helped me. I'll say to the pastors here, if you would learn from Brother Wilkerson in this case and in the church, and maybe you already have that, but it will help you. After spending time in the solitary place, Jesus said, the crowds won't determine what I do. Let us go to the next town I came to preach. That is my primary calling. May we never be too busy or too distracted to lead somebody to Christ. May we urgently declare the truth. May we go back to our pulpits and determine to preach, to preach. I'll tell you what this world needs. This world needs somebody to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. Not thus saith education or thus saith the internet. Thus saith the Lord. This is what the Bible says. Preach it. This was Jesus' primary calling to preach. Boldly declaring the truth. I got a text yesterday from one of our newer men at the church. This fellow used to play tight end for the Oakland Raiders. In fact, he played in the Super Bowl several years ago under John Gruden. He texted me yesterday and he said, Pastor... He said, I'm praying for you. 
He said, I know that you will blow them away, in parentheses, with the Lord's help. <laughs> he said, I can't wait till you get back because we want to set up those lessons. It's our calling, fellas. It's our calling. So, Joey, you want to stand up? This Joey Diaz. Stand up if you would, Brother Joey. But Joey's been in our staff for five years. It was Thanksgiving Day service, I think it was 2001, wasn't it, Brother Joey? And we've had a Thanksgiving Day service all of these years, and I'm not saying you have to have one or don't have one. I just grew up at First Baptist Church, and man, it just became a part of my day. We had a Thanksgiving Day service, and on that day, Joey's father came to church, I think maybe for the first time. Thanksgiving Day service, I didn't really preach, but we always point people to Jesus Christ. At the end of the service, Brother Joey's dad was led to the Lord. They began to come to our church. I think Joey began our school. What grade, Joey? Third grade began to come to our school. And believe it or not, he graduated through our school, and that was questionable many, many times. And Joey graduated and came here to House Anderson College. And you invested, many of you, you prayed for him, you invested, you invested in him. Now he's getting ready to go and start a church. I believe God's going to use him. I'm telling you folks that preaching the gospel still works. It still works. It still works. <laughs> you don't have to be a great preacher, it still works. You don't have to bring a great anything. It still works. Raphael, would you stand? Raphael, this is my brother-in-law, Raphael. Years ago, I was on a bus route in Chicago. I thank God for Brother Francis. Man, I'm thankful for his just consistency. Man, it gives me great confidence. I, I don't know where he's at, but it gives me great confidence to send our students here to this college. One reason is Brother Francis. I know they're going to be pushed to reach people, to pastor people, to work with people. Many, many years ago, I was just a bus captain on the north side of Chicago, way up by Tuohy Avenue, up near Evanston. We were having a big day, and our division leader said, we're going to set some goals for the big day. How many are you going to have? And everybody else had big goals, and I, it was, I just became a bus captain. Everybody had some pretty impressive goals. They said, how many are you going to have? I said, 200. I'd never even had 100. I took off work that week, and I went up to my bus route every day. As soon as I got off of school, I went up to visit. I knocked on doors. And I didn't reach 200 that day. I think we had 189. We only had, we were supposed to have three buses. We only had two buses, but they were really, really big buses that we had that day. <laughs> oh, one of the problems was with our buses, I, I, I ran out of room in our buses, and I asked Rafael, I don't speak much Spanish. I'm telling you, I didn't know anything. I wish you'd have known. I don't know anything now, but you should have known me back then. And I met Rafael at his house, and I said, Iglesia mañana, you want to come to church tomorrow? He said, see, sí. you know, a lot of, they're intimidated. Sometimes I just say, see, sí, yes. Well, the next day I go by his house on Sunday, or maybe not the next day, but on Sunday. And I asked him, I said, uh, he was ready. 
And I think your brother, did your brother come too or just you? I don't remember if it was both of you. But I said, I said, you have a car, Titine Caro? You have a car? He said, si. <laughs> That's his favorite word, si. And uh, I said, donde? Where is it? He said, right here. I think it was Renault, wasn't it? Renault, the car or something. And I said, can you drive it? Can you drive it? He said, si. I said, can I put some children in the back here? Don't listen to all this. But I, <laughs> they were actually... They were actually nieces and nephews, I think. They were relatives. I didn't know they lived around the corner, but I said, can I put some children in your, your car? He said, see. I said, just follow the, the bus. He said, he said, where am I going? I, or try to ask. I said, just follow the bus. I asked him later, I said, what in the world were you thinking, Raphael? Because we drove from almost Evanston all the way to Hammond, and I don't know, it took us 45 minutes. And I asked him, what were you thinking? He was thinking, where is this church, is what he told me. <laughs> and I'm telling you, there's, I don't know of a finer Christian gentleman than Rafael Cervantes, and I'm telling you the truth. That man loves God, and that man faithfully serves God and has for all these years. I'm telling you, it works. Thank you, Rafael. Jesus said, my calling is to preach the gospel. That's why I came. As leaders, we better make sure we keep the main thing the main thing. <laughs> well, let's keep preaching. Let's keep preaching the gospel. Let's keep finding that solitary place. Maybe somebody ought to say tonight, I want to find that place. Maybe we ought to decide I'm not going to be influenced by public opinion. Popularity doesn't really matter to me. Maybe. Well, I decide that we'll just stay with it and list others. Stay after souls.